We, last week we had our uh, back-to-school prayer with the kiddos, you know, praying over them, giving them words of knowledge, um, prophetic words, um, just letting the Lord speak and move in their lives. Um, and we learned the week before that um, a little bit about God's purpose behind signs, wonders, and miracles. We learned about his purpose behind them. We learned that so many of the towns that Jesus went to where he performed most of his signs, wonders, and miracles. He looked back on that time of ministry and he denounced those cities. What we as a church would call incredibly successful ministry, Jesus denounced them. Why? Because they didn't turn their hearts back to the Father. They didn't repent. And when you're headed toward hell, it doesn't matter whether you walk in with a limp or you walk in healed, you're still headed to hell. <laughs> what matters is that you're saved, that you've given your life to Jesus, you've received his free gift of salvation. We love signs, wonders, and miracles, but the greatest miracle of all is salvation, the saving of a soul. And unless that saving of a soul happens, we, I, I'm going to be bold and brave and say, we don't want to see the signs, wonders, and miracles. We want to see the lives transformed. The dead come to life. That is the purpose, the heart, the intent behind those things is to show people the power of our God and to draw them to him so that they surrender their lives into his hands. We were reminded of the, the ten lepers that were healed and only one came back and laid his life down before Jesus. We want to be those lives that surrender to him in response to all the signs, wonders, and miracles that we're already seeing here in this place, right? So this morning we're going to take a step back. First of all, in time, from the life of Jesus to the life of Moses. But the purpose behind God taking us there, actually Moses and Joshua and Caleb, um, is also to take a step back and to see the bigger picture of things. Because our lives play such a bigger critical role in the lineage of the great men and women of faith than we could ever realize. Our lives are not our own. They're playing a significant part in God's plans and purposes. His call to repentance, it isn't just for our own lives' sake, but also for the sake of the generations to follow. And we see this happen. If you want to turn your Bibles back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, we're going to be spending time in Deuteronomy and Joshua. <coughs> and we're going to take a look at these generational shifts, just a few of them here this morning. And it says here that Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet this is the inheritance of all of us. It is appointed that we're going to die someday, but you don't have to go out with your last weak breath. Here's how Moses left this life. His eyes were not weak. Please, Lord, forgive me for staring at tiny little text on computer screens. His eyes weren't weak, nor was his strength gone at all. That's how I want to go out, right? God's ablazing, still serving the Lord with everything we've got. I love that. that some, sometimes we don't see those blessings of the Lord. Their shoes didn't wear out in 40 years walking through the desert. Sometimes we don't see the blessing of these material things that the Lord blesses and anoints that they just last well beyond their natural life cycle, right? It's like Tim's one truck. I keep praying that it would have that, you know, your old black Toyota. 
thought for sure it would have that anointing, you know, and just never rust out and give up. But, you know, things are things. But, uh, but we see this is the way Moses left. And in verse 8, it says that the Israelites grieved for Moses. They grieved in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had, had laid his hands on him. <laughs> so the impartation by the laying on of hands of the spirit of God, that's nothing new in the, Old, in the New Testament. Right here it was happening in the Old Testament too. Moses laid his hands and parted the spirit of wisdom into Joshua. So the Israelites listened to Joshua and did what the Lord had commanded to Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs, wonders, and miracles that the Lord had sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all of his officials, to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in sight of all of Israel. Signs, wonders, and miracles, all pointing the one true living God. But you know, although some of the greatest signs and wonders and miracles that, that anyone had ever experienced in their lifetime were experienced through Moses. And by the way, I, I, I believe that that's why the, mo the body of Moses is hidden. We know he died, but no one knows where the body is. And did you ever read in the scriptures? Satan is actually like fighting. He wants to know where the body's at. He's arguing with the other angels and he wants to know why. Man, if if he could inhabit the body of Moses, I mean, he, yeah, anyway, so God, God's keeping his body hidden for a good reason. And we can speculate day and night about why, but his, his, his body is hidden. But the interesting thing is, although that generation of Moses firsthand experienced signs, wonders, and miracles, it didn't transform their lives. They grumbled, they complained, they whined. They, they, they wished they were back in their old slavery of Egypt, you know. And they lived all of their lives in that place, that wilderness place of complaint and complacency. And they died literally on the threshold of God's promised land. God wanted to take them in. Those were his plans. Those were his purposes. That was his heart. But the people refused to respond to it. And so they weren't able to enter in because of their attitudes. Attitude is so important in life. It's not what you go through, it's how you respond to it. The attitude that you maintain that really matters to the Lord. Now the following generation, the Joshua generation, they rose up after everybody had passed away. And they weren't like that previous generation. They were eager to enter into the promises of God. They expected God to fulfill his word. They came with an eager expectation. And as the Spirit's been speaking a lot this morning, that's what we have to have. That has to be our attitude. You know what? This sucks right now, but God's going to do something awesome in this place. God's going to do something awesome through it. He's going to do a sign, wonder, a miracle, right? His word's going to be fulfilled. They were eager to enter in. They had a faith that, was, that nothing was too hard for their God. No enemy was bigger than their God. They were convinced that God was greater than anything they could ever face and that he would honor his word to them. Joshua and Caleb, they were two men that bridged the two generations. 
And they were the only two of the Moses generation that entered into the promises. When entering in, Caleb said this to Joshua. This is Caleb. You know, he was, he was part of that generation. And he said this. He said, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Benera, about you and about me. Caleb said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my own convictions. But my fellow Israelites went up with me, and they made the hearts of the people melt in, what's the big Christian F word? Fear. Fear will prove to be a snare. Fear will keep you, like a dog on a chain, leashed away from God's promises. If we are to be a people that walks into the promises of God, there's going to be opposition, but it's not going to be fear that enables us to overcome it. It's going to be faith, right? Faith in God. Not in our own abilities, or who we are, or our own righteousness. Faith in God alone, and fulfilling what he said he would do. Joshua and Caleb were those two men. And he went on and he said that the, that the other people, they, they made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, Caleb says, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised... He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time that he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness. And I love this in verse 10. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. 85 and he's still as strong as he was when he was 45. And he said, and I am just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Woo! That is a person of the Lord, right? That's a man of God, ready to fight this battle. It was his inheritance. It was the promise of God. He's going to get it. Yeah, his kids and grandkids are going to enjoy it too, but he wants to be the one to take it for them, to leave as an inheritance. Man, there's a lot of parents and grandparents and great-grandparents right now. You are taking some land. You are scoring some victories. And it's for your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, for them to enjoy the blessing of God. And there's so many awesome, awesome things to admire about the Joshua generation, and you've probably heard me preach about them several times. But this morning, I want to take a look at a warning. I, I love to focus on the good things, you know? My flesh is such a negative person. I'm such a whiner complainer. But the Spirit of God is not that, Right? But this morning we're going to look at a word of warning that comes in one simple little verse. And, and I don't want us to miss it. Because there's one point where, like, they succeeded 95% of the way, but they failed in this one little 5% of the area, and it really tripped up the next generation. And I don't want us to have that same mistake. Because one of the most significant things that we can do in our lifetime, and I preached about this a few weeks, well, maybe a month ago, is the legacy that follows us, right? That legacy. Um, you know, living a life that outlives me. What is it that you are shaping and forming? In, not only, you know, when we think of a, a, an inheritance, we often just think about our immediate family. 
that's your first and foremost ministry. They are the first and foremost that you are shaping and forming. But you're making an impact on your whole family, on your whole community, on your friends, on your neighbors. You are, are living, it's, it's sort of like, you know, um, the, the great Indiana PA favorite. You know, it's a wonderful life. Anybody ever see that around Christmas time? You are making a far greater impact on your community than you realize. You're making an impact on people's lives. You're living a life that outlives you. You're going to be, leave behind a legacy. It's going to happen. And we know this reality, that we're leaving it for the generations to follow. Because after all, the generations, the, the, the youth and the generation of today is the leaders of tomorrow. They're the ones that are going to take the baton beyond us. And we had read in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And it goes on to say, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. I, I like that, that last part. Did I leave it up there? Oh yeah, it is. It's up there. <laughs> Do you know why the enemies were left in the promised land? <laughs> There's only one reason. They were living that good life. It wasn't about their righteousness. The reason they had those huge grapes and this awesome fruit, it was because they were just um, uh, stewarding it for God's people. <laughs> it was so that the land wouldn't get driven, overrun by animals and weeds. It was so it would be a good, fruitful land so that God's people could come in and take it. <laughs> they were just being used by the enemy to store it up. I love the scripture. Sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Woo! <laughs> it's a good scripture. But so often when we think of an inheritance, we, we, we limit ourselves to just thinking about our, um, our material things. And let me tell you, as someone who has had a parent pass away, everything that you value and you treasure that you leave behind for your kids, I'm just going to be brutally honest here, they may not value it the same way as you do, you know? I, I, I see these memes on Facebook, and, and Dad opens his garage, and it's like full to the brim, and it's like, son, one day this is going to all be yours. <laughs> and the kid's like, oh, no. <laughs> what we leave behind as an inheritance, it's far, far greater than just your material things or some money. What you leave behind are the values and principles of life. And what we, as a people of God, are being called to leave behind as an inheritance, as a legacy, is more spiritual speaking. Those valuable things that we pass along. Um, because if we don't pass along principles and values and attitudes and behaviors as an inheritance, along with those material things, all the material possessions of the world... They would become a curse instead of a blessing. And if you don't believe me, look at the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? He received his inheritance early. And was it a blessing to him? No, it destroyed his life. He was jealous of what the pigs were eating. He, he, he swindled it away on wild living, you know? An inheritance is only a blessing if what accompanies it are the biblical attitudes and values and principles that will protect it as a covering to make it a blessing. That's the only way that that blessing remains a blessing is also passing it along, those values and those principles, those, those, those spiritual truths along with it. We've got to be careful to, to leave those behind 
as an inheritance as well. And we're going to see another example of why. The prodigal son wasn't the first one to live that story. We know that the Joshua generation, they, they crossed the Jordan River. They spent their lives taking back from the enemy all of God's promised land to them. They took it all back. Every bit of it. They drove out the enemy. They saw miracle after miracle as they cooperated with God to win victory after victory. They settled in the land and were an abundantly blessed people. I mean, they were just incredibly blessed. And it is in that place of blessing and abundance, that place where life is good, where the enemy's been driven out, where there's peace and prosperity, that is where the largest danger lay waiting. It wasn't those giant people that made them feel like grasshoppers in their eyes. That wasn't the greatest enemy. The greatest enemy was complacency and blessing. They settled in the land of complacency and blessing. And that is a place where seeking the Lord ceases. The Lord blessed you. I don't need anything right now. And you stop seeking him. You stop pursuing him. That blessing starts to... Um, it, it's just like the, the manna of yesterday. If you held on to the manna of yesterday, it got moldy. Because it wasn't intended for tomorrow. It was intended for today and today only. Just like the grace and the mercy and the love of God. It's new every morning. Don't hang on to the grace of yesterday. You've got a brand new grace for today. But that's what happened. The, the people, they, they, they filled the land, they prospered, they were being blessed, and that blessing kind of became moldy. It kind of corrupted them. They were spoiled kids. They were living a good life. They didn't have to seek after God. It's a place where the Holy Spirit is ignored and grieved and flesh begins to be indulged. There's a, a tipping point, a pivot point, and it's so dangerous. We see here in Judges, chapter 2, verse 7, what happened. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who even outlived him. See, it starts at the leadership level, right? These people who are leading the people, leading them to seek God, leading them into his promises and his word. So the people served the Lord throughout Joshua and the elders who all lived him. Those who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. They, they were personally there for the signs, wonders, and miracles. Then it says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the Mount Gosh. After that whole generation, the Joshua generation, had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord, not what he had done for Israel. This is such a simple verse. It's so easy to read through and overlook and keep going on. But this verse was the turning point for God's people from a place of blessing to where that same land that was intended to be a blessing became a curse, became a hindrance, led them away from the Lord instead of to the Lord. 
It's a place where God's people swung from the slavery of Egypt, crying out to him day and night for deliverance, where they had been delivered, where they had brought into the promises of God, and then they were on their way back into slavery of the flesh. They were on their way back instead of forward as the Lord wants us to head. They didn't know the Lord is what it said. Now, Please don't misread this. Please, please, please don't misunderstand this. It says that they, they neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I don't for a moment believe that they didn't have knowledge about what they had done. They were raised by the Joshua generation. You know, come on. You're telling me you're, you're, their, their grandma and their grandpa didn't talk about the things that the Lord had done? They didn't hear the stories? They didn't know intellectually about the things the Lord had done? I don't believe for a minute that they didn't know about them. But you see, there's a difference in the Hebrew here for me knowing, you know, somebody or something and me knowing somebody or something, you know? I mean, Mark knows my wife, Becky. He knows her. But he doesn't know her the way I know her. I know her heart. I know her thoughts. I know what, what, what deflates her spirit and what inflates her and just, you know, makes her feel so loved. I know those things. Mark doesn't. He can guess at them, but he doesn't, you know, you know. Um, it's no offense to you either, you know, bud. <laughs> you know, but there's a difference between knowing. I know about President Trump, you know, but I don't really know him. If he crossed me, passed me on the street, he wouldn't know my name. He doesn't know me. Many say, Lord, I've done sons, wonders, and miracles in your name. I prophesied in your name. I did this in your name. I drove out demons in your name. But what does the Lord say? Get away from me, you evildoer. Does that mean that signs, wonders, and miracles are evil? Driving out demons is evil? No. What was evil about what they were doing? Jesus said, you never knew me. I never knew you. There was not a place of intimacy, of knowing there's a difference between knowing the Bible and knowing the living Word of God. There's a difference between the revelation of just reading this text, which any intellectual can do and know it and quote it. They can even live out some of its principles and they will work. There's a difference between that and actually knowing the Lord. Right? The, the Bible says that the demons, they know the Lord, and they shake and shiver and quiver in fear. Satan knows the word. Read Matthew chapter 4. What did Satan use to tempt Jesus out in the wilderness? He quoted the word of the Lord, right? He quoted the word. It's not about knowing the word. It's about knowing the word, you know, the living word, Jesus, having a relationship with him, really knowing him. That's what really matters. Because this is what happens if you just know about God and you don't know God. There's a, the difference is as far as night is from day, right? This generation grew up knowing about God, but they didn't really know him. They didn't have a relationship with him. They had knowledge of his signs, wonders, and miracles, but they never experienced it. They never had that personal encounter. And I believe that's what Becky's, you know, back there doing right now is that so many of us, you know, I, I know so many people who grew up in a Christian home, but as soon as they moved out, they don't serve Christ anymore because there's a, a transition point that has to happen where it's no longer my faith that's covering my family. My kids got to have faith of their own, right? Because you're not playing games right now. You're following along in, in the Bible, right? Okay, conviction maybe. Um, anyways, it's awful having a spirit-filled parent. They just know things that, that they can't know any other way. Marie Ray, you've shared some stories, you know. You, it just... <laughs> 
There's some things the Spirit reveals because he loves you too much to let you get away with it. But anyways, isn't that true for all of us, even as us grown-up kids of God, you know? He just loves us too much to let us get away with some things. But anyways, um, there's a difference. You know, you have to have your own faith, your own covering. Um, You have to choose to walk in the Lord and to have personal encounters with him, to have personal signs, wonders, and miracles, personal firsthand experiences with the Lord. Because this changes everything. And it goes on. This is one simple verse. Then we go on here in verse, from verse 10 to verse 11. Okay, so they, they grew up. They neither knew the Lord not, nor what the Lord had done for Israel. Then in verse 11, after that simple verse, the Israelites did evil in the sights of the Lord. They served the Baals. They forsook the Lord their God, the God of their ancestors who had led them out of Egypt. They followed and they worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. They stopped being the head. They started being the tail. They started following the world around them. They started fearing the things that they feared, right? Right? We need to not be that people. We need to not fear what they fear. In fact, there's a word given to Isaiah who said, don't call conspiracy everything the people call conspiracy, right? You are a people of truth. You see the truth. You know the truth. It bears witness in your spirit. You know what's really going on, right? You know the truth. Mm. But these people, they didn't know the truth. They didn't know God. So that God seemed no different than the other gods, you know, that had similar practices. And actually, some of those practices seemed like more fun because it appealed to our flesh. They got temple prostitutes. I'm not allowed to, you know... (laughs) Crazy messed up world. But anyways, they started following the desires of their flesh instead of following the spirit of the Lord because they just didn't know him. They didn't have a relationship with him. And I continue on here. It's heartbreaking. They followed the various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. And this isn't, I'm going to throw lightning bolts at you because you're a sinner. This is, I love you. What are you doing, child? Where are you at? Who are you following? What are you thinking? Why are you believing that lie? Don't you see where this path is heading? It's the heart of the prodigal son's father. Son, what are you doing? Why? Why are you destroying the life that I gave you? I gave you such blessing. Why are you throwing it away? Why are you just wasting it away? And it says, in his anger against Israel, the Lord just gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Why was the nation of Israel able to take the promised land and resist their enemies around them? Only one reason, because of the Lord, because they were serving him. He was the one that was protecting them. Take a look at the nation of Israel today. Tiny little puny thing. You know, it, it, it's Iron Dome. It, it, can only, it can only hold back so much. There's only one reason a nation prospers, and it's because it's serving the Lord. It's where blessing is. But they chose not to, so what did God do? Okay, okay, I'm holding back your enemies. I'm holding back your enemies. I love you. I don't want to do this. But they just kept running away. And so he said, okay. He just withdrew his hand. That's all that the Lord has to do. Withdraw his hand. That's all that he said. 
He gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them, sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. They were no longer able to resist them. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. You remember Joshua? You choose whom you're going to serve, but as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Setting before you today, life and death, blessing and cursing, you choose. It's no different in today's world. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he still says today to you, to your heart, you choose. You're going to follow me? You're going to serve me? Or are you going to go out there and live to please the flesh? You choose, and therefore, you receive the result of your choice. God doesn't cast people into hell. He just honors their choice. He, he made a way for them to be saved. They don't have to do anything but receive it. All they have to do is just receive it. I mean, he made it as simple as it possibly could be, but in the end, he honors our choice because he loves us. Love requires choice. Love requires choice. This generation grew up, they didn't know God, and now because they didn't know God, they chose not to serve God. God's hand was against them. That same land that was a blessing is now a curse. And even then, God again was their salvation. Again, God loved them so much, he made a way for them to come back, to be safe, to be protected, a place where they would prosper. He made a way, and he always makes a way. Remember the scripture in, in I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and he is faithful. He will always make a way out. God always makes a way. Always makes a way. And I kind of wish he wouldn't, because that means... The decision's always up to me. <laughs> it's always my decision and my choice to make because he always makes a way. I got to choose to walk it. But again, he was their salvation. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they wouldn't listen to their judges. In fact, this is how God viewed it. He said they prostituted themselves out to other gods and to worship them. That's how God felt. You're cheating on me. You know, not just are you cheating on me, you're just prostituting yourself out to whoever. It's what the Word of God says. Because love that is forced is no love at all. God tried and tried and tried to save his people, but they refused and they refused and they refused to listen. They just wouldn't follow his ways. His love compelled him to pursue them. But he also knew in his love when it was time to stop and to simply leave the invitation open. The prodigal son's father knew the same limitation. He knew when to pursue his son and when to say, okay, you're on your own. He knew he was out there in a bad place, suffering. But he knew, as much as it hurt his heart and grieved his heart, he knew that that suffering season was the best thing that his son could endure. And he let it happen wasn't his choice, wasn't his will, but he still allowed it to happen. Do you, do you see the heart of a loving father who is your God? He doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want you to face persecution. He doesn't want any of these bad things to happen to you, but he understands that sometimes the most loving thing he can do is withdraw his protection, let you feel life without him, so that you're led back to repentance. And it's still his love, his loving kindness. Because his door is still open. He's still saying, come. It's just he's not chasing you down anymore. He's letting you choose whether to return to him or to run far from him. It's a choice. And this generation, 
he used some pretty strong language comparing their choice to go their own way. He viewed it as prostitution. Because he made a lifelong covenant with them, like marriage is supposed to be today. However, they rejected him. They chose to serve man-made gods instead, of, instead that appealed to their fleshly desires. And they devoted themselves to those false gods. They quickly turned away from the ways of their ancestors, and they started following their own ways. It's just heartbreaking that they, they, they turned so quickly. And it says here in verse 17, Judges chapter 2, verse 17, that they quickly turned away from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. But again, it reminds us, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge. <clears throat> he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as that judge would live. Relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways. In fact, they returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. They followed other gods, they served them, they worshiped them, they refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. They just refused. They wanted the blessing, but not the blesser. They wanted the gifts, but not the giver of gifts, right? You see the difference? They want the signs, wonders, and miracles, but they don't want the one who works them. And that's what they're all about, is to lead us back to him. So it's so critically important, not only that we passionately seek and pursue God for our own lives, but that we also serve him bringing along the next generation bringing along the next generation not so that they hear about the good old days but so they experience the good days right because the good days today when they encounter the move of the spirit that's going to be their good old days in their generation right and we don't want to see this, this pendulum swing where, you know, we're in slavery, we're set free, God is so good, he, he brings us into the promised land, and then we head back into slavery. No, 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 I don't know about you, but I want to see this generation go from where we're at even further into the things of the Lord. I want them to have revelations of the Lord that I've never even tasted. I want them to do the things that we can't even imagine. That's what I want the next generation to see the Lord do firsthand. You know, we've got to bring them along with us. I love what, you know, Kurt and Eileen used to always share the pastor before me. You know, there is no junior Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, in fact, Jesus said that unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You've got to have that childlike faith that just believes the Lord and what he has done, believes that he is good, believes that he's going to do and fulfill what he has promised. We need that in our lives we need to be there with them, living life together on a life journey. We need to celebrate their successes. And it's just as important to mourn with them their losses, right? To mourn with them, to be there, to encourage them, to rise back up, equip them to fight another day. Be there to help them lift their eyes back to Jesus. He's the pioneer, the author, the finisher of our faith and of theirs. He has to be the author of their faith, not just ours. We need to walk in a journey along with the next generation so that they will get to experience the things of the Lord. 
After all, we all are co-heirs of the inheritance of the Lord, aren't we? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all co-heirs together. And that is to be our legacy. Our legacy. Not just to win battles and then hand over the spoils of war to the future generations. We saw what happens when that happens, right? It's not a blessing. Not just to hand over the spoils of war to the generations that come, but to pass along to them the training, the equipping, so that they may take that plunder and gain their own victories and add to it even more, even greater things, right? So that they can gain their own battle, their own victory in their own battles, to be good stewards of God's blessing in its many various forms. It's to take the baton so they can go further, right? So they can go further into the things of the Lord, further into the kingdom of God, so that they can enlarge the tent pegs, right? Experience even greater things, invite even more people in. The kingdom of God is a kingdom not of addition, but of multiplication. That's what discipleship is about. One disciple disciples others. Who disciples others? Who disciple others? And the next thing you know, here we are thousands of years later, still enjoying the blessing of that inheritance. And you are a key link to passing on the inheritance of the kingdom of God to a thousand generations to come, right? We're cutting off the sins of, of generational curses that get passed along to the third and fourth generation. We're cutting them off here and now. And we're going to pass along a blessing for the next thousand, right? Right? That's our legacy. So I encourage you to pray about it. You can't force your life into someone else's life, but you can open up the invitation the way that the Heavenly Father does. Take a look at some of the younger folks around and, and invite them into your life. More so, invite yourself into their life. Hey, what can I do to help? What you going through? How can I pray for you? You know, let's dig into the word together. What does the, the word say about it? Not I'm better than you, I'm greater than you because I'm older than you, but let's dig through this together. We're both children of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. And you know what? I've dealt with that before. That, that's what age gives you, right? Wisdom, because I've done that before. And, and here's how not to do it, because <laughs> this is how I did it, you know? Um, and here's how to do it. You know, we, we build up this legacy where we fight Victor, we fight together, we gain victories together, we mourn losses together, and we learn together from it. Okay, how can we win this thing next time around? Because even my own kids, I mean, I'm, I'm not even 40 yet, and they're dealing with a world that I've never dealt with before. You know, me and my, um, you know, my, my brother-in-law were just talking about that. Like, you know, we actually grew up in a generation that didn't have cell phones still, didn't have a computer, you know? I mean, we, we, we still were in that generation, you know? And these guys don't know what it's like to be driving and getting lost because you literally have to pull out a map to find directions, you know? <laughs> or you got to ask somebody. You can't pull up GPS, you know? It's, just, it's such a different world, but that doesn't mean that we don't have something to pass on. Because nothing is really new under the sun, right? When it comes to the spiritual things, we can help them to gain their victories. But offer up your life to them. What can I do to help you be successful? What can I do to help you succeed where I've failed? What can I do to help you become everything that God created you to be? So pray about it. Ask God who he wants you to invest in. Offer to come alongside of the next generation to be co-laborers, to be co-warriors, to be co-conquerors in Christ and even more, right? 
The next generation doesn't have to be like the one who followed Joshua and Caleb. They can go further and accomplish even greater things than we have. They can dive deeper into God's kingdom and reach more people than we ever could have. They can reach people we can't reach, right? They can receive even greater things in this next generation. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's just pray. So, Lord, Jesus, you know, you know the person that I'm supposed to be discipling right now. Perhaps the people that I'm supposed to be discipling, the people I'm supposed to be living life side by side with, the people that I'm supposed to be sharing your word with, training them up in it, equipping them up into the things of the Spirit. So Lord, reveal to me those people. I don't want to miss out. I want to leave behind an inheritance I don't want that verse 10 to be said about me, that the next generation grew up and they didn't know you. Jesus, I don't want to be the reason for that. I want to be like the Joshua and Caleb generation that takes hold of your promises and that fights with every last breath I've got until every one of your words and promises are yes and amen in my life. I want the spoils of war. I want to take back the things the enemy has stolen from me. But Lord, I want more than that. I want the next generation to be right there beside me fighting. I want them to see what you can do. I want them to hear your voice. I want them to walk in obedience to you alone, no matter what the rest of their generation is saying and doing. Lord, help us, me, to be a link in that chain.